name's Eric. Welcome to E3. If this is your, your first time here, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, and I just want to kind of begin by saying that, oh my gosh, what an amazing weekend weather-wise. Oh my. I, um, did anybody like see, I guess last night was like the, it, the, the super moon? Is that what they called it? Yeah. Like we were laying, uh, my, we were laying in, in bed last night, my wife and I, she's like, do we have an outside light on somewhere? And I'm like, no, I think it's the moon. And it was, uh, it was like a neon sign out there. And we went to the beach yesterday, and I got the, my feet sunburned. So, yeah, feet and shins, never, never a good place to be sunburned. Um, we're going to be talking today about prayer. And prayer uh, is, is a really, really strange topic, I think, if we, if we really be honest. I, I, I've read a, a ton of sort of spiritual masters or people who have just been doing this faith thing for a long time. Every single one of them will say the same thing, to me at least. Prayer is the thing that changes your life. Like, if there's any one thing these guys all seem to say that will revolutionize your life with God, it's this thing called prayer. And, and I get that, and, and I hunger for it, but I think if you guys are anything like me, I also have this strange relationship with prayer. Because it is very sort of uncomfortable. You know, I, if you're anything like me, there are times when you, you try to pray, and you just feel like, like you're a little bit insane. Like you're a little bit just talking to invisible people. You know, I, I'm, a, uh, I'm a sociologist by sort of academic training, and sometimes I like to take a step back and, and divorce the meaning from sort of spiritual activities. And I, I, every once in a while, I'll just kind of take a step back and I'm like, well, what does this look like? If, if somebody had no context for what I'm doing sort of maybe right now in my room when I'm praying, what would it look like? And I just get this image of I'm just like sitting there talking to a wall, you know? And, and, I, and it's kind of this thing where like, Every once in a while, um, I just have these moments of just feeling like, this is really odd. This is really hard. I don't have the words. I feel like I'm not being listened to. Am I the only one? I, okay. <laughs> I'll tender my resignation next, <laughs> next week, and, and I'll start learning from all of you how to pray, obviously. But I suspect that's not actually the case. I suspect I'm not the only one. I suspect that if we were all really honest, we would go, you know what? Prayer's a funky thing in my life. Sometimes, whether, whether you've been walking the road of faith for 10, 20, 30 years, or whether you're brand new. And uh, a friend of mine sent me a video this week, uh, totally unrelated to the subject of prayer, but when I saw it, I was like, this is the way I feel about prayer. This captures the dichotomy. So watch this video. Yeah. 
in case you're wondering, uh, yes, that is the cutest thing you will see today. Um, but like somehow, like that encapsulates my prayer life. Like it freaks me out sometimes. And then I'll have like an amazing time where I'm just like, I feel so engaged with God and I feel like I'm just kind of right there. And then maybe the next time it's like, whoa, like this is not working. I feel ridiculous. It's freaking me out. And, 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 it's, and it's kind of, that's the way prayer life works, I think, for most of us. Maybe one really good time, then maybe one time that's just like, I, I feel like I'm just an insane person talking to invisible people. And so I wanted to kind of spend some time this morning just talking about sort of maybe a way that we can all engage with prayer if it's something that you struggle with or have questions about at, at all. You see, uh, Jesus had a prayer life. Well, let's just start with the real basics. Jesus had a very rich and diverse prayer life. And we're told that, that whenever anything big was about to happen in his life, a lot of times Jesus would pray all night long. How are you guys doing with the all night prayers? Just, just asking. Um, all night long, just go off to places where he could be alone and just cry out to God right before anything sort of big was about to happen in his ministry. And uh, I think that we all have times possibly that we all would really be um, praying, crying out to God when important times were, gonna, were, were coming up in our lives. But there's other ways that Jesus would pray, just sort of in the course of his daily life. Jesus, as a, as a good, practicing Jew, would pray regularly anywhere from two to four times a day at set intervals. And this was sort of Jesus' daily prayer life. And, and during these times of prayers, Jesus would most likely have prayed sort of memorized prayers, prayers that have been handed down through the generations that the Jewish people just prayed as a, as a people of God. And one prayer was called the Shema. And uh, if you have been around E3 at all, you've heard parts of this because it's really woven into the fiber of who we are at E3. It goes, parts of it go something like this. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your soul mind and then also strength and that was the shema and that formed sort of the the core of a of a liturgical it's a kind of a church word liturgical prayer that the israel uh, that the israelite people prayed regularly anywhere from two to four times a day then also jesus would probably have prayed something called the 18 benedictions which just kind of 18 memorized prayers that kind of exalted god and just declared who he was to the world and to yourself and this would have formed Jesus' daily rhythm of prayer. Now, at one point in Jesus' ministry, somebody comes up to Jesus and they say, you know, basically, tell us how to pray. And whenever you ask Jesus a question, like, just let's be honest, if you read the Gospels at all, whenever you ask Jesus a question, you don't know what you're going to get. Like, you can ask Jesus a question and get a story about a man and, and a lonely dormouse somewhere, and then, you know, like a huge parable. But every once in a while, Jesus just gives a straight, crystal clear answer. And in Matthew 6, uh, this is one of these times. His disciples want to know how to pray, and Jesus is just going to tell them flat out, here's how you do it. 
And so before we just put the text up there, whoa, whoa, it's up there, look at that. It's all over the place, isn't it? Whoa. Um, Before we just kind of, I read this, a lot of us grew up in faith traditions where this prayer, called the Lord's Prayer, or sometimes you might know it as the Our Father, formed our weekly sort of worship. You know, like this was said every single week. And just to be clear, it was said every single week because Jesus said, this is how you pray. And different faith traditions kind of interpret that differently. But what I thought it might be interesting for us to do is to actually just read these words together rather than me reading the text to you. So, um, you know, I hope this isn't too weird of a thing and there's no magic necessarily in this. But we're just going to read these words together. So you guys join me. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So that's the prayer. Now, just a quick sort of overview of, of uh, just kind of taking a 10,000-foot view of what we see here in the prayer. The prayer is pretty much divided into two halves. There's kind of the first half that really deals with God's stuff. You know, our, you know, God, your name, your kingdom, your will. The second half is really our stuff. And each half has three sections, three lines in it. So it's a very sort of linear, symmetrical prayer. It's also, again, this word liturgical. It's a prayer that's been used by the church since the very first church. They found documents from the first church where this prayer is woven into the worship of the early church. So it's been very important to the church throughout the years. It's a communal prayer. There's no I in it, is there? It's all give us. Forgive us. Help us. And uh, I think where I'm going, I'm just going to tell you where I'm going is that this prayer, as simple as it is, has profound implications for the way we understand God and the way we understand prayer. So there's no I in the prayer. It's also a a kind of a strange prayer if you've been brought up in the church. uh, Typically, and, and you might just say prayers kind of off the top of your head or kind of what's in your heart, you know, you might include a lot of things like confession, thanksgiving. There's very little of that, relatively speaking, in this prayer, isn't there? There's very little confession. Forgive us our sins. That's what it is. There's very, very little uh, thanksgiving. You know, I've been taught to pray. You know, it's a very good thing, and it is. Don't get me wrong. It's a very good thing to go through, thank you for my family. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my friends. But this prayer doesn't really focus on that. Pretty much goes boldly right to the heart of of matters. And lastly, there's very little what we would call intercession. Intercession is just kind of another church word that means asking God for things. God, please, you know, heal my father. God, please help me with my finances. God, please help me with this struggle I'm having in my life. There's very little explicit intercession in this prayer. So if we just take a quick look It's just kind of a strange prayer when you look at it from our perspective. But at the same time, underneath the first level of this prayer are some profoundly moving 
strong things that we can really latch on to. Now, what's interesting about the first half of the prayer, the sort of God's half is what I, I would call it, is that it's really not new. You see, uh, Jesus was a part of his culture in the first century. And there, there were some things that Jesus did that were remarkably innovative and that there were other things that he was just uh, fitting into the culture as a first century Jew. And the first part of the prayer is actually really interesting because we found another prayer from the first century Jewish culture that is very, very similar to the first half of the Lord's Prayer. It's called the Kaddish. Everybody, it's going to come up. Everybody say Kaddish. Kaddish. Now, the Kaddish went something like this. Let's read, I'll just read this to you guys. Exalted and hallowed be his great name in the world, which he created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and in your days and in the lifetime of the whole household of Israel speedily and at a near time. Now, do you guys see kind of the touch points between this prayer and the first half? The hollowing, the holying sort of of, G- of God's name, the kingdom that, that will come. And so Jesus kind of uses the Kaddish as sort of a springboard for his prayer. But as usual is what Jesus tends to do, he goes far beyond what the Kaddish uh, adds. And so what I want to do now is just spend some time going into the prayer and just extracting a couple of observations that, that I have kind of made or that other people have made and, and uh, just kind of spoke to me. So Jesus starts off the prayer with what two words? Our Father. Uh, in Greek, it would be pater. In Aramaic, it is Abba. These two words, like, uh, we could spend uh, the rest of the morning on these two words. We could spend actually a, a few weeks on these two words because these two words are probably one of the most revolutionary things about Jesus' prayer life. It was, it was a- utterly um, distinctive about Jesus' prayer that he started off almost every prayer, at least that's recorded in the Gospels, with our Father. And I, I want to spend some time just kind of understanding the revolutionary concepts that are buried in that phrase. Actually buried in that one word of Father. But the first thing I want to tell you is that, um, you know, some of us may understand that, you know, Father means, you know, Abba, which means Daddy. Uh, a lot of scholars are, are, are wondering if that's actually the case, that it has sort of this childlike refer- uh, re- ref- uh, referential aspect to it. A lot of scholars think that that's not so much what it means, but that it is a term of intimacy. And it was really, really new and different that Jesus would take this family word, this word that was only reserved for kind of like in the house, around the table, Abba, and Jesus took it out to the public and said, here's how you pray. You pray to Abba. You pray because this is a family. You pray this way because this is your relationship to God, not just as king, but as your father. So what would it have meant for Jesus to pray our father? Well, in the first century, the father, the the head of the household, had very uh, distinct roles. And some of them translate to the 21st century, some of them not so much. So the first thing that the father was, was he was the creator, right? 
you know, Bill Cosby used to have this part of his comedy routine. You know, I brought you into the world, his dad would say, I'll take you out. And this was kind of the first aspect of, of God as, as Abba, as Father. He is your creator. He created everything. So just to acknowledge that, you're not just kind of an accident. You didn't just kind of, you know, emerge into the world. You were created by a very specific person. What's more is that the father, the head of the household, was the protector. He is, he is in charge of making sure the family, making sure the household is kept protected, is kept safe. And sort of on the flip side of that, if the household starts to sort of, if people in the household are starting to behave sideways or starting to get things wrong, the father is the protector of the internal harmony of the household as well. And so sometimes, if you grew up in my household, sometimes the father would discipline you and kind of set things straight and remind you of the rules of the household. The father was the provider. You know, in this culture, uh, it wasn't really like the woman would go out and sort of be a high-powered consultant or, or open her own business. The father was the primary provider for the family. And so to, to declare that God is your father, to pray our father, is to remind yourself God is in charge of providing for the household. God is in charge of providing for the family. And last... And this is kind of where it gets really interesting. Is that God is your father. God is Abba. Is the, is the model of the household. You know, sons in this culture tended to do what their fathers did. So as the son would grow up, whatever business the father did, that's what the son did. And, and that even translate now, translates now, not so much in a vocational way, but like I'll just be really, really honest. You guys might know, not know this about me, but um, I have a temper. And you know why I have a temper? Because my dad had a temper. And in so many ways, even now, who your father is, especially guys, but also girls, declares who you, de- kind of helps determine who you are. So to pray, God as our Father, our Father, is to declare that our model for living, our model for life, is God in heaven. And just a word to be really, really clear. Now, now I realize that sometimes when I say our Father and, and, and Father is your role model, there are some here in this room that are instantly right now shutting down. Because there's, there's people in this room that would say, you don't understand. You don't know my father. My father is not a model to be emulated. And to, to anybody here who, who, who is feeling that right now in this moment, I'll say crystal clear. Part of God's work in the world is that he wants to replace that image of father with his image of father. So that when we pray our Father, just the first two words of those prayers, we are declaring, God, you are our provider. You are our creator. You are our protector. And God, you are our model. The way you are in the world, God, is the way I will be in the world. Because I'm a member of your household. Like in a really kind of uh, strange sense, we are declaring, God is the head of our household. He created this whole thing, didn't he? 
And we are members of this household. And so God owns this household. He is, uh, as one author put it, he's the housekeeper. And here's kind of a first really revolutionary concept that I want to kind of plant in your minds this morning. When you go into somebody's house, say you go into you know, a friend's house or an acquaintance's house, and you walk into this house, and sorry, I'll just be blunt, it's a mess. It's a wreck. There's holes in the walls, paints peeling from the ceiling. Kids running around, you know, with hammers hitting each other. I don't know. Who do you look to as being responsible for that? The parents. So hidden in the first two words of this prayer is the idea that if God's household is in disarray, that somehow that's a reflection on God. And as members of his household, in a sense, it's up to us to reflect our Father. So if our stuff is in disarray, if we're running around with metaphorical hammers hitting each other, guess who that reflects on? The head of the household. If we're not stewarding this place and our lives well, guess who that reflects on? The head of the household. It's not just our stuff. It's God's stuff. So, uh, we're two words into the prayer. We'll wrap up here in a few hours. But, um, (laughs) right after that, though, the sort of the, 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 you know, the rest of the God's half of the prayers starts, you know. Um, May your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done, right? I, I haven't studied Greek Um, But I know Mark and Dan have both brought up the fact that the placement of words in ancient languages is critical to the understanding of these languages. And if you were to read these next three lines in the Greek, they would read a little bit something more like this. Uh, Our Father in heaven, be kept holy, your name. Be done, your will. Becoming your kingdom. And the implication of those words is that the emphasis is on the action of God, not our action. So in the same way that we are collaborating, we are, we are to live our lives, you know, as to make sure that we're reflecting well on the head of the household, the next three lines go, but, but, it's up to God to keep his name holy. It's up to God to bring his kingdom It's up to God to have his will be done. So we have to acknowledge that the same way that we work, we also serve a God that that is transcendent and is utterly powerful and that is responsible at the same time for bringing his kingdom to come, his will to be done, and to keep his name holy. Are you with me? All right, so moving on to our half of the prayer. The first part of... of, um, of our half of the prayer, it, the, the word just says, you know, give us the food we need. A lot of us grew up saying it this way, give us our daily bread, right? This is, uh, this is such a, a subtle but mind-blowing check on my selfishness. You know, uh, I, I mean, I'll just kind of reveal, like, the Lord's Prayer plays an integral part in my sort of daily devotional life. 
And uh, when I pray, when I get to this line, it always just wrecks me. Because I don't really pray for daily bread too much, if I'm really honest. I don't wish for daily bread too much, if I'm really honest. In this culture, you got paid day to day. You didn't have a savings account. You didn't have an ATM. You got paid, you went to the market, you ate. You didn't get paid for next week. Daily bread meant you ate. Daily pay meant you ate. It was a day-to-day-to-day existence. That's not our existence, is it? I mean, a couple of times I could say in my life, you know, I wasn't really sure where my next meal was going to come from. But not often, and not many of us. So when I get to the part about daily bread, it stops me. And I go, okay, God, what do I really want that's not daily bread? That's more like weekly bread, monthly bread, lifetime bread. And it just makes me check my heart. What do I need for today to get through? And not just money, not just food. What do I need from my friends just for today? What do I need from my wife or my kids just for today? Tomorrow will take care of itself. It'll come. It'll have its own set of problems. But God, help me to seek and to be thankful for just what I need for today. Daily bread. Prayer goes on, and, and what comes next is, is sort of a, an uncomfortable thing. Sometimes we like to, to gloss over, you know, forgive us our sins as we forgive the... To be clear, uh, this is not sort of a time-based relationship. God doesn't wait for us to forgive, uh, forgive us, or he doesn't wait for us to forgive others before he forgives us. I want to be crystal clear about that. It's not saying that. What it is saying is this, that being a part of God's people means that you are a person who is willing to be a person of forgiveness because God is forgiving you and has forgiven you, and will forgive you again. And because of that, you release that same thing, kind of the same stuff Mark was talking about last week. You release that same lavish forgiveness, grace, mercy to other people because there's two things about this saying. Does it say, oh God, please tolerate my sins as I tolerate the sins of others? Does it say that? No. I wish it did sometimes because tolerance is much more comfortable than forgiveness, isn't it? I'd much rather tolerate people's sins than actually forgive them. But that's not what we're called to. A life of forgiveness. A people of forgiveness. And here's what else is kind of buried there in the language right there. That God forgives our sins. But, but what do we forgive? What is our role in forgiveness? We don't forgive other people's sins. Who do we forgive? We forgive those who sin against us. And as I was thinking about that, I was like, sometimes it's easier in my life to forgive what somebody does than to actually forgive the person who did it. Like, if you've insulted me, if you've wronged me, if you've, if you've stolen from me, if you've abused me, I might be able to forgive that action, but to actually look at you and go, no, I actually forgive you. That's hard for me. 
and I would think that it might be hard for you too. But that, but that is the type of vision for God's people that he has. And so the prayer goes on, and, and we talk about the temptations and trials. I'll just say a quick word about, about this, the, that the language really does indicate that don't let us yield to temptation. Because, it, you know, the truth of the matter is sometimes God leads us into times of testing. God led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. God led the nation of Israel into the wilderness to be tested. But here's the deal that you have to know. God does not take you into the wilderness to see you fail. God may take you into the wilderness to mature you. He may take you into the wilderness to prepare you, but he will not take you into the wilderness because he wants to see you fall on your face. Times of trial may come. And we pray this. Don't let us yield to temptation. And that prayer is important because, you know what, if you're anything like me, I don't struggle so much with sin when life is good. When the bank account's full, when my relationship is squared away with Shana, when, when work is good, hey, man, I'm good. But when times of trial come, when the bank account's not so full, when I've done something wrong, because that's what normally happens to my wife, When life gets tough, when times of trial come, that's when you need this prayer. Because that's when you screw up. At least that's when I screw up. So if you know the other version of the prayer, the other, another translation where it says, God, don't lead us into temptation, you can pray that too because temptation is where bad things happen. And that's kind of the form of the prayer I pray. God, don't take me there because I'm not strong enough to get through it. I'm not strong enough to get through a time of trial, God, I'm afraid, without blowing it somehow. So God, in your sovereignty, please keep me from that. So that's essentially the, 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 the text of the prayer. And if we return to the whole idea of, like, why pray in, in the first place, I, I would kind of start, start by saying this, that prayer is a confession of weakness. And a lot of times that's why I don't like to pray. Because I don't like to be weak. I think I like to be strong, actually. I actually kind of like to feel like I, I have a grasp on life. And to go to God is to say, I need your help. The truth of the matter is I'm actually pretty weak. And I think that's exactly where God ultimately wants us to be. And I think it's hidden and it's hinted at in the actual shaping of the prayer. You put it this way, the, the actual rhythm of the prayer actually shapes our agenda for prayer. You get the first half right, and the second half will fall into place. You spend enough time praying for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done, for his name to be kept holy, and guess what? You'll start to understand what daily bread really looks like for you. You'll start to understand what it means to be a person of forgiveness as God's will comes in your life. But it all starts with this idea of like, I'm weak. I'm weak. I don't have it all together, God. I need, I need to be shaped by you, God, rather than, than be shaped by my own ideas. I, I watched just a couple nights ago um, the King's Speech. Has anybody seen it? I think it won Best Picture. Did it win Best Picture? Yeah. Amazing, amazing movie. 
and I won't, I won't give too much away, but part of the movie is a journey of these two guys who happen to be friends. One of them happens to be the king of England. One of them happens to be a speech therapist. And when they first meet, or I think maybe when, um, when the speech therapist meets the future king's wife, he says this phrase. He says, you know, I'm not going to use royal titles. I'm not going to call you your highness, your royal highness. And he says this, it's my turf, it's my game, it's my rules. And I think a lot of times when we go to God in prayer, that's the attitude that we go to our king with. My game, my turf, my rules. And there's this interesting journey that the movie takes because at the very end, after spending so much time as friends, that at the very end of the movie, there's this very subtle thing where uh, they always called each other by their first name, Lionel and, and Bertie. And at the very end of the movie, uh, the speech therapist, he actually bows and he says, Your Highness. And it's no longer sort of, I mean, they're, they're, they're friends, but it's just this interesting journey to say, he's been changed by being in the presence of, of the king. And I think so many times we, we go to God that way and praying the Lord's Prayer is a way that kind of, sh- kind of gets in the way, blocks that tendency to say, my game, my, my rules, my turf. Because it says, no, actually, your name is kept holy. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. So, so how does this work? How, how does it actually work? Um, uh, a couple of, of people who have just been really influential in my life would say this, that if you want to kind of jumpstart your life. I hate that phrase. I can't believe I just used it. Jumpstart your life. Oh, dear. Um, If you're stuck, if you want to start down the road of the spiritual life, pray this prayer three times a day. One guy that that, that I admire as an author, as as a man of faith, said this more than anything changed his life forever. Pray this prayer. Three times a day. Now, some of us grow up in faith traditions where you're just like, wait a minute, reading prayers? I'm, I, you know, I, I think I can just handle this by, by improvising, you know? Reading prayers is kind of a, a strange thing for us. Well, I would say two things to you. First of all, Jesus memorized prayers and spoke them. And, and the other thing is, is maybe the, the way to think about things like this is to think of them as caretakers, you see, my son is in second grade, and, and the first, uh, first grade and second grade, you know, they're learning how to write. And, and they get these pieces of paper, and it's got the letters traced out for him. And so, you know, he starts learning to write by just following what's already there. Because the important thing is to learn the letters and to learn how to construct the alphabet. But you know what? He doesn't write, he doesn't write that, any, that way anymore. Because he's learned what the letters look like. If prayer is so important, and I believe that it is, and, some of, and if some of you struggle with prayer, and I believe that you do, isn't it better to pray something than not pray anything at all? And if you start with the prayer that Jesus said, pray this way, I, I think I can promise you it's probably a pretty good prayer. Jesus said it, not me. 
And here's the way I do it. And, and um, there's no closing thought today. So I want to kind of end, uh, end our time. And I'm just going to show you the way I pray the Lord's Prayer. Because I don't just blow through the lines. What people say to do is to use each phrase of the prayer as sort of a framing for your prayers. And you kind of just expand on what's there. And so uh, this is a little bit different for us, but I thought it would be helpful just to show you the way I pray and to actually pray together. So what's going to happen is that the words are going to come back up on the side screens of the prayer, a phrase at a time. We're going to say those words together, and then I'm just going to pray the way I would pray um, in my sort of daily devotional time. So uh, if you guys are ready in the back, let's read this together, and then I'll pray, and then we'll just go slide by slide through the prayer. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. God, uh, I, I know that there are times when I don't do a very good job of keeping your name set apart. That there are times when I behave in such a way that that sort of make your name uh, look ridiculous in front of people or, or not as good as it, as it should be, not as exalted as it should be, God. I, I pray that you would forgive me for those things that I, those times that I do that, Lord. And I pray that you in your power would continue to just exalt your name in my life and in the world. Let's go to the next slide. Let's read this. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God, we hunger for your kingdom. There's so much war and sickness and hurt and pain in the world. And God, I know that that's not the vision of your kingdom. And Lord, as much as we can work towards it, Lord, it's ultimately... Uh, It rests on your power. And so, God, we pray for the coming of your kingdom, for more love, for more peace, for more justice, for more uh, gentleness and kindness in the world. And, God, to the degree that that your will needs to be be kind of uh, coming into our lives as individuals, Lord, we pray that we would make room for obedience in our life to your rules, your will so that we can increasingly be a people uh, that live our lives the way you want life lived in the kingdom. Next slide. Let's read this. Give us today the food we need. Oh, God. Um, I would just say this, Lord. I pray that you would just separate my needs from my desires. Help me to see what is necessary in the world and to reject what is not necessary. Lord, help us to appreciate and to be thankful for what you've given us for today so that we can live uh, for today in thankfulness and gratitude to you. Next. And forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. God, your forgiveness Uh, is lavish, and I have appropriated so much forgiveness, God, from you. And Lord, I pray uh, that I would continue to find people that are needing my forgiveness. And Lord, I would not hesitate, but that I would extend a hand and an embrace to say, I love you. 
you are forgiven. You are my brother. You're my sister. And Lord, I pray that I would never, ever take that for granted. Next. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Amen. God, some of us, uh, this is a very, very uh, hard prayer to pray. Lord, that we're really bad at resisting temptation. Lord, I pray that you would continue to, to make us wise so that we don't get into situations that are out of our control or, or that just kind of have set us up to fail, Lord. I pray that we would continue to ask for help, that we would relinquish control where we need to relinquish control and go to, go to friends and go to you and say, I need help. I can't control this anymore, God. And Lord, we thank you that you have defeated evil on the cross. I pray that we would just continue to live more and more and more in the freedom that you have given us. We pray this in the strong name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Um. <laughs>